This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Avrin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin, and every episode, I was going to say every week, but it's generally every week, we bring um, guests and thoughts and insights into how to build your business and raise your influence and um, raise your visibility as well. And so along those lines, actually a great guest today, we're talking to Brian Ahern. Brian is the CEO of a company called Influence People. And Brian has some remarkable training uh, in the science and art of influence uh, from a business perspective, from a personal perspective. And I'm looking forward to diving into, into sort of what does science say and how does that apply to our lives? How does it apply to our business? How do we be better at what we do and convince others uh, for, for less than nefarious purposes uh, of the things, you know, so many of us are, are, are strong advocates for our message, for what we do. But getting others on board is is always a challenge. So before I say hello <clears throat> to my guest, I'm gonna I'm gonna read his his brief bio here. Uh, Brian Ahern is his chief influence officer at Influence People. His passion is to help you achieve greater professional success and enjoy more personal happiness. A, dy- a dynamic international keynote speaker, trainer, coach, and consultant, he specializes in applying the science of influence and persuasion in everyday situations. He was named one of the top 100 influencers of 2016 by science, the science of digital marketing. And his blog has readers in over 200 countries around the world, currently working on his first book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade that are lasting, ethical. And I like that, that last aspect of it as well. Um, <clears throat> so welcome, Brian, to the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, David. I've enjoyed your uh, podcast. I listen to them quite a bit when I'm working out, and I've even got your book right here. Your brother gave it to me. There you go. I appreciate that. I've got a brand new one. I will, I will throw it in the mail for you so we can uh, appreciate that. promote that as well. Um, I will ask everybody's forgiveness on the front end. I've been fighting a cough here for the last uh, month plus, and um, my doctor's really funny. He says, you're not sick. Just don't talk for a couple of days. And I said, do you, do you know what I do for a living? He's like, no. I said, so we went through all that. So um, Brian, talk to us about, you know, when we look at all the different aspects of what really foretells success in business. Um, <clears throat> we, we talk to kids. I've, I've got, you know, I've three teens. I've got one in their 20s and one's 19 and one 13. And we talked about the importance of having good, strong verbal communication skills, the importance having strong writing skills, skills before they leave school uh, and having me as a father, you know, watching me sort of being verbally persuasive because it's what I do in addition to the books that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of aspects that, that really uh, influence, for lack of a better word, how successful we are. And part of that is bringing others along on the journey, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm in uh, a boat similar to you. I've only got one daughter. I don't have three kids. Uh, she's 23. She turned out awesome. And a lot of it is because of the things that I teach. And, and whether right. she 
you know, directly learning it or absorbing it. But for 23 years old, you'd think she was in her early 30s, the way she can communicate with people. So it's incredibly important skill for people to learn. And I think the earlier they learn it, the better their opportunity for success. And, and I will give you one quick example. Sure. Um, imagine if, if you were in financial investments or something of that nature, and you learn certain things, like you learn that people are more motivated by what they may lose versus what they may gain. If right. I were talking to you, David, about an investment, I wouldn't say, David, if we can find a way for you to save 1% more, you'll have an extra couple grand in your, uh, or a couple hundred thousand dollars in your retirement by the time you end everything. I'd say, David, if we can't find a way for you to, to uh, put in at least 1% more, you'll lose a couple hundred thousand dollars by the time you retire. It feels different in your gut. It's the same couple hundred thousand dollars, but talking about it as what you'll lose makes a world of difference. And if you and I are both financial investors at the beginning of our career, and I keep talking about what people may lose, I'm taking off like this. And if somebody else is doing it the more traditional way, they're having traditional growth. It's sure. those kind of things that if people learn early on, it can just multiply their success. You know, before we go deeper into, into the practical application, take me back a little bit. What was our traditional thought process regarding persuasion and how has that evolved? Well, I, I think most people, if you ask them, would, would either say it's manipulation, which it's right. not. I mean, we are trying to persuade people every day, all day long, and some of us do it very ethically and some people do manipulate. For me, the difference is manipulation is all about me where ethical persuasion is about you and me. I mean, there's no denying I'm, I'm going to get something out of the interaction, but I also need to be thinking about what's best for you. So that's, that's the difference between ethical and manipulation. But I think a lot of other people, when they think about persuasion, if I ask them, what's your layman's definition, they'll say something like to change somebody's mind or to change right. their thinking. And I will say, okay, well, how about this then? You've got kids and you say, clean your room. You want them to say, A, mom or dad, that's a good idea, or B, get in there and clean the room. You want to change their behavior, and that's what we're talking about. How do I communicate with people in such a way that they go, that makes sense, and they actually take action? Because it's not until somebody says yes to us, if you're in sales, if you happen to have a great idea, you're a middle manager, until somebody says yes to you, your great idea doesn't become a project, and your, your prospects don't become clients until they say yes to you. Right. How much of this in your mind is it having the right words to say, or is it more, I mean, is it strategies and tactics both? Is it coming from the right mindset? Because listen, we've all grown up trying to persuade, whether it's our buddies to go, you know, that he can make that ramp that, he, you know, we want him to jump or his yeah. parents trying to get our kids to eat the things that we don't want him to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in business, of course, anything, as we say, nothing happens until somebody sells something. That's the revenue generating aspect of our business is persuading people, is it the content or is it the approach or how much of that balance is in there? It, that's a great question. And it's actually both because how you set the stage, it will call persuasion. What you do before you actually ever try to persuade somebody can make a huge difference when you ultimately make that ask. You could have a very persuasive ask, but if you don't set the stage the right way, that may make it more difficult. Um, like if they feel they're being sold as opposed to really taken along the journey. Yeah. So uh, let me, I'll give you a, a quick example. Some research that was done 
with a marketing company that was working with a company that had come out with a new type of pop. So imagine, David, you walk into the grocery store and I stop you quickly and I say, hey, uh, excuse me, I work with uh, XYZ Marketing Company and we represent ABC and they've come out with a new type of pop. If you're willing to give us your email address, we'll send you an email with coupons for free samples. And under that set or under that circumstance, 33% of the people said, sure, I'll give you my email. When they set the stage persuasively, they ask this question. You walk in and, and I do the same introduction, hi, and I say, excuse me, but do you consider yourself to be adventurous? Somebody who likes to try new and different things. Well, you're gonna search your mind for times when you were adventurous and when you did different things. So sure. you come back and you say yes. And then I say, well, I've got good news. I work for a company, we represent this company. They have a new type of pop. And if you're willing to give us your email address, we'll send you a uh, an email with coupons for free samples. And under that scenario, 75% of the people were willing to give their email address. It's the same ask, except one had a persuasive component. It changed your thinking before they made the ask. So that's the strategic and setting the stage portion of, of persuasion, of influence. And then of right. course, there's always what you actually do in the moment and how you make that request which studies show can make a world of difference too. You combine the two and you have a really, really powerful opportunity to change people's behavior. Brian, let me ask you a question though. How much of this, is, is there a, a requirement on the front end to have a, a strong belief system in what it is that you're communicating? I mean, I clearly, <clears throat> clearly it will make it more effective, mm -hmm. but, but for those who are really bought in, are they better just because there's a, a greater level of authenticity in terms of what they're trying to communicate or sell? I, I, mean, think, I, I, I think, I know what conventional wisdom would say, but what does research say? I, I think you always have to have a belief. If you don't have a belief in what you're talking about or what you're selling, it will leak through in your, in your tone, in your body I, language, I agree. in your expression. So people, people will sniff that out. But when you have something that you truly believe in, and you're trying to optimize your ability to get other people to say yes, and they can see that passion and you combine it with what the research says, again, you become significantly more uh, likely <coughs> to ultimately get somebody to say yes to you. But let me ask you another question. If, how do you deal with people who have sort of an innate reluctance? Uh, I work with audiences all the time. You know, I speak on marketing, I speak on customer experience, mm -hmm. and I always have a portion of my audience, especially when I do deeper workshops and, and in certain cultures around the world, uh, when I'm in Singapore and others, beautiful people, beautiful culture, but it's that that mindset that says that that um, that how they were raised, right? The culture that says the nail that stands up gets hammered down, and so there's this reluctance to appear overly self-promotional. If we're marketing, we're saying how great we are, but aren't you just being boastful or whatever else? And my response is always, I'd, I'd like to hear your response to this: is if you know you're doing good things, mm -hmm. if you know that people that you are selling to, whether it's through marketing or advertising or direct selling it face-to-face, -face, if you know that they're going to benefit, mm -hmm. and you are denying them the gift that you have for them. Their reluctance oftentimes to sell or be promotional or, or to highlight or, or to market, um, I would say to them, I need to think you need to change your mindset. Because if you know their lives will be enhanced, maybe just their day will be enhanced, maybe just their meal will be enhanced by your products and services, then you denying them. There's that biblical term that, that talks about don't hide your light under a bushel, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it, for me, I think it helps get people past that reluctance to promote. Right. And I think that's then incumbent upon us to 
help make that mindset change to not just simply change and say, you know, you need to change your mindset because, um, and again, this is where persuasion really comes in handy. If I knew that somebody was reluctant to um, promote themselves, to do the self-promotion, one of the things that I talk about a lot is who can you get to promote you? Example, if I was going to go on a sales call when I used to work for the insurance company, if I was going to go out with your brother or somebody else on a sales call, before I ever went into an insurance agent's office, I had a bio similar to the speaker bio you shared for me today that my boss would have via email. That way, it sounds perfectly legitimate when somebody else introduces me. And of course, somebody always introduces you as a speaker. So I would start to get somebody to think about, okay, if you feel a little uncomfortable talking about yourself, let's find a way to get somebody else to talk about you so they can say all the wonderful things about you that people will say, I want what you have now because I perceive you to be an expert at what you do and other people are partaking in that. So that would be one strategy I think that I would- Hang you up beforehand, right. Yeah, I was good. So, but from that perspective, um, how important is that pre-work, whether you talk about persuasion or setting the table for whatever those conversations might be? I mean, clearly, with those we don't know, that wall may go up, uh, mm-hmm. especially if like, don't sell me, please God, don't sell me. I mean, it's, it's one of the challenges that I have. You know, one of, one of, I thought was one of the greatest vehicles early on in social media was LinkedIn because the value proposition was meeting the people you want to meet through the people you already know. It was all about the facilitated introduction. Now it's not. Now anybody, and I get probably 20 requests a day for people who want to connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And when I click okay, most of 95% of them within 60 seconds, they pitch me their business. Mm-hmm. So I'm to the point now where I literally say, happy to connect, please don't pitch me your business. Mm-hmm. And they're taken aback. Yeah. But there's almost nothing that they could do to persuade me because they have so violated that, you know, buy me dinner first, you know, I mean, to, to, yeah. and metaphorically, right? You know, before you, I don't want to offend anybody. It's like, always like, you know, buy me dinner before you try and get in my pants or something. But like they immediately want to sell something. That's not very persuasive, is it? When there's no relationship, when there's no connection, what needs to happen on the front end to make that more effective? You need to build relationship. I mean, that's that's it, pure and simple. And I think there's golden opportunity on on in, uh, social media like LinkedIn. As an example, I will accept almost everybody, and I will usually send a, a, a message back right away that would say, "Hey, David, thanks for reaching out to connect. I'm curious, how'd you come across my profile? Because most people don't send a personalized introduction, and right. they may not know how to do that. So I don't hold that against them." What I found most of the time is people are connecting with me because of the coursework I've done with LinkedIn or something that they've seen on my, on my uh, bio. And I always will try to have that personal touch, some interchange. So as an example, one guy connected with me and he said, hey, you look like you were an interesting guy. So I replied back and said, I'm going to tell my wife that somebody found me interesting. And then he jokingly says, you look like you're a nice looking guy and a good husband too. And, and anyway, this banter started going back and forth. And all of a sudden he says, do you speak at conferences? Cause I'm on the board for this conference in Texas in September. And I don't know if it'll lead to anything, but there's a chance now. And it was because I got relational stuff. Yeah. Right. You now some people will say, I don't have time to do that. It, well, you chunk it, you, you do it in small, you know, maybe you take 30 minutes in the morning and you're replying to all those messages so that it's not interrupting your day. But there are ways to leverage that to start building some relationship. 
and that all that took all of twenty minutes between right. you know going back and forth. And but you also do, you also do it because it's more effective. I mean, there's a whole chapter in my book about about stop stalking me. Uh, my new book, um, <clears throat> Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. There's a whole chapter just on people spamming you and reaching out who don't know and trying to sell you, yeah. where they opt for that volume of of letters and they think they're saving a fortune, but they have no idea how much they're losing with what a more targeted approach <clears throat> with authentic relationships. Um, because at the end of the day, aren't we, isn't everything about trying to persuade um, people either to see our way or to recognize the value of our company or our products? I mean, per persuasion isn't about manipulation. It's effective communicating, isn't it? Absolutely. And the thing is, people use persuasion far more than they realize. Sure. Um, Dan Pink, in his book, To Sell a Human, cites a survey of more than 7,000 people who were not in direct sales. And he asked the question, how much of your day do you spend trying to influence, persuade, or convince people to do things for you that's not related to a sale? And the average that came back was 40%. So think about that. The person, typical person in an eight-hour day is using this skill upwards of three hours a day. If you're going to use it that much, you might as well get good at it. You might yeah. as well learn a few of the ins and outs and how to do it ethically. But the other thing that's really cool, David, is when you do it the right way, you build these relationships, you meet interesting people. I have met people around the world. And, and when my wife and I were in Scotland last year for our 30th anniversary, we met up with people in Scotland and Ireland because I had connected with them and built relationship. Didn't try to sell them anything, but I do know if those people, if there's something they can help me with, they will be more than willing to because they, they see me as a regular guy, somebody that they know, like, and trust. Right. Well, and, and I, I, same thing. I mean, I always try to make sure that I keep these conversations as casual and personal because people feel a better connection. And as you mentioned, going to Scotland, two things I want to throw in there as well. Is, number one, I'm going to Scotland with my son next week. I'm going to take him for spring break. We're going to have a great time. I guess. Second thing is last, I guess. But you were there last year for your 30th anniversary, correct? Yeah. Yes. Because if I'm also correct, today is your 31st anniversary. Is it that is. Yes, it is. Today's so, a good day. Sun is so, out and my wife's happy. How fortunate were you that 31 years ago, you were able to persuade your fiance at the time to actually mm -hmm. be your wife? One of the most well, monumental things in your life, wasn't let it? Let me tell you this story. So <laughs> this has to do with persuasion. And it's a true story. So my wife and I, we met our first job out of college. And within a few weeks, we were going out and, you know, we're in love and we've got free time and money and this was great. So, but I had been, prior to meeting her, I'd been dating another girl. And all of a sudden, though, I'm going out with Jane and everything is great until one day the other girl calls. And all of a sudden I'm thrown into a tizzy like, oh my gosh, am I, I'm giving all this up. What am I going to do? And I was back and forth for months. Well, finally, uh, it was, this was like late April and I saw my wife, we still work together. I saw her in the break room and I said, how are you doing? And she said, fine. And by the way, if you ask me out again, I'm not going out. Well, a week later, we went to a friend's wedding together. And that's when I thought, I'm going to ask her to marry me. Now, any person who knew me would have said, you're an idiot. You haven't been able to commit. And anybody would have told her she was an idiot. Don't do it. Make him, you know, prove himself for some period of time. Right. So what I did was on her birthday, I surprised her and sent her a dozen roses at work. Okay. So she's like, Oh, this is great. All the women are making goo goo eyes and things. And I told her I would take her to dinner. So I show up at her apartment. I have another dozen roses and a bottle of wine. And now she's thinking, wow, this is a really nice day. So we go downstairs from her apartment to go get in the car, but I had rented a Rolls Royce with a driver. Okay. Now, 
Mind you, I'm a 22-year-old guy, <laughs> didn't have a lot of money, but I rented the Rolls Royce and the driver. We drove to downtown Columbus, went to the highest spot in the city, a place called One Nation for dinner. We rode this glass elevator up 33 stories and had dinner and then rode the glass elevator down. And then we're in the back of the Rolls on the way back to her apartment. And she leans into me and she feels something in my chest pocket. And she's like, what's that? And pull out the ring and I ask her. Now, I didn't know anything about persuasion back then. But I know now that if I hadn't done that, she probably would not have said yes. I mean, right. I'll set the, you stage. Set the table. Yeah. yeah, make it almost impossible. If I would have just done a straight ask, hey, Jane, I'm sorry that we've been back and forth. I'm ready to commit. Let's get married. She would have said jump in a lake. So, so you know, it's, it's just ironic that we're having this conversation today. And that's what took place over 30 years ago to ultimately say I've been married now 31 years. So take me through the science of a rope. Give me the stages. So we've talked a little bit about it, but we've jumped around a bit as well. For those who are watching and those who are listening, okay. if we want to be better at influencing others in our life, in our business, with our children, with our, our clients and others, take us through the stages. Okay. Well, when I talk about influence on the broad level, I'll say that there's the persuasion, what we do before, and then there's persuasion, what we're doing like in the moment. When it comes to persuasion, we need to be thinking about what is the mindset that we want somebody in to make it easiest for them to say yes. And we can change mindsets all different kinds of ways. Um, the things that people take in visually, what they hear, the place that they are when we make the ask. It can be as simple as the room that they're in. To, the, to our extent, if we can shape some of these, then it creates an easier context for them to say yes. But then you still ultimately have to make your ask. When we talk about doing the influence process, I always ask people, what is most important in the phase that you're in? Is it to build a relationship? Because there are certain principles that are most effective there. Is it to overcome uncertainty? You may say, no, these people like me, but they're just not sure what to do. There's a couple of principles that are most effective there. And then the third thing might be, they know me and they like me and they're not unsure what to do. They're just not doing it, right? And so we have a couple of principles that are most effective to then motivate action. So we set the stage, but we also have an eye on what are we, what are we most focused on? A relationship, overcoming objection or uncertainty, or are we trying to motivate to action? And then we look for the principles that will be most uh, helpful in whatever phase that we're in. And if you look at, at those who are in business, those aspects kind of everything, whether somebody's looking for investors or funding, right? Mm -hmm. Are we trying to get them over certain points, whether you're doing sales, whether you're trying to ask your boss for a raise, whether we're, I mean, it really affects, I mean, it, it applies to almost every aspect of our interpersonal relationships, where we're looking to grow it from where we are to where we want it to be. Absolutely. Um, if you don't have a foundation of liking and trust, unless you have something that nobody else can offer and they'll say, well, I don't give a darn. I don't like the guy, but I'm going to do business with him because he has this. Um, usually that's not the case anymore. Usually right. the, plenty of choice. So you better do what you can to establish relationship because people are going to buy from whom they know, like, and trust, and then move into helping them overcome that uncertainty. You know, why should I do business with you? What is it that you do that's different? And then the last phase again becomes, how do I motivate them to action? You know, what is it that maybe I offer that nobody else does or some unique packaging of that? What will they lose if they choose not to go with me? That becomes very compelling. And, and I think when you do this well, one of the nicest compliments that I had was a guy gave me a testimonial and he said, Brian never came across as a guy who was trying to sell us. And in the process, he sold us. 
I mean, that, right. that's about as good as it gets, right? Yes, I wanted to change their thinking and get them to take action, but he never felt pushed, manipulated, or sold anywhere along the way. And if you do persuasion the right way, it becomes pretty much of a, a conversation where you're showing people that what you're offering is really in their best interest. And they say, right. that makes sense. Right. The problem is, it's so many of these programs, whether it's or others, are so formulaic that people can see through the fact is of where they're trying to, you know, well, what do you, what do you, you know, what are you looking to pay? What's it going to take to get you in this course? Like, are you kidding? Or even with our level of enlightenment. And I think as, as a culture, certainly as a business community, I think we're a lot smarter than we were 20 years ago about a lot of this. Yet so many people will go immediately to features and benefits, right? Let's, let's talk the features. Here, here's what it is. Here's what it does. Here's, here's how much it costs. And the reality is most competitors, as you had mentioned, everybody's good today. I mean, there's a few outliers, but you're, you're real competitors, no matter who you are in business, your competitors are good. Most of them are very nice people, which is, which makes it even harder to hate them. But when we start talking about here's, here's the, how, how, you know, the fabrics are available for our couch, they can do the same thing. It has nothing to do with what, what's more persuasive was what's going to happen on that couch, right? People, realtors, I do a lot of work with realtors and, and they talk a lot about what's going to happen in, in that home. Right? Who are we? This is where your family's going to live, and where those monumental events are going to are going to take place, and less about, you know, the the BTUs of your refrigerator, your or your oven. And I think to your point, because so many competitors do things well and have good products, to me that highlights the fact that it becomes even more important your ability to converse with people in a way that will make it easier for them to say yes. And what I teach people is there's a science behind it. There's more than seven decades of research that you can fall back on. You could use the term best practices, but you don't have to rely on just trial and error on yourself. No different than if you went to the gym, you could just start moving weights around, or you could talk to a trainer who's, who's studied the stuff and says, hey, David, you know, you want to lose weight? First thing we need to do is get you aerobically active. After that, we'll get you to the weights. And, but, but they're going to give you things based on research to help you get into shape with probably less effort and do it sooner, and then you're happier and you're, you are reaping the benefits of your health that much faster. That's, a, that's in essence what you're doing when you learn how to ethically persuade people is to help people move along that path quicker with less resistance. And when they get something, your good product or service, they're happy about it. So tell me how this applies to people's lives beyond the obvious application in a sales scenario. So give oh, me okay. other, some other scenarios in our parenting and our lives and our friendships um, and even internally with coworkers and others where these okay. kind of principles um, might enhance the relationship. Um, I'll start with one with a daughter because, you know, you, you talked about your kids. My, my daughter's 23 now. And um, when she was 14 and she's turning into this young woman, you know, two hour showers, boys, makeup, all this kind of stuff. Last right. thing she wants to do is go help dear old dad on a hot summer day by cutting the grass. And yet I traveled a lot and I needed help. I knew, David, if I would say, Abigail, I will give you a raise in your allowance if you will cut the grass when I need it. She either would have said, how much, dad? And negotiated me up or she might have just said dad I don't even like money that much I just forget it since you asked I'll say no and and then I would have had to play the dad card and said fine now you do it for free and you're gonna learn a lesson and she would have just All resented right. me I wasn't the relationship right. I wanted so what I did was I engaged reciprocity we were driving home one day and I said Abigail I'm gonna give you a raise in your allowance $15 or $10 a week 
she said, wow, why? And I told her things she genuinely deserved. She was responsible. I was happy with things she was doing. But I also knew it was going to be easier to get her help when I needed it down the road. A few weeks later, I get ready to travel. And I said, Abigail, I'm going to be going out of town. Would you cut the grass for me? And I could see that she was about ready to give me the, oh, dad, don't make me do that. I hate that. And I just said, time out. I just gave you a raise in your allowance. I did not ask you to do anything. Can't you help me? She thinks and she goes, okay. And she never resisted after that. Because Great. she understood, dad does nice things for me. I need to do nice things and help dad. So to me, that's one good example of just removing some of the friction that comes with the teenage years. Um, I will say on a, on a spouse level, since we were talking about my, my anniversary, um, a couple of years ago when my wife turned 52, my big gift for her that year, I built it up and told her, I'm giving you something nobody else has ever gotten, at least to my knowledge. And when she turned 52, what comes to mind for you, Dave, when you hear the number 52? Um, playing cards. Okay, most people say that. But there's 52 weeks in a year. And so what I did was I gave her a gift a week for a year. That's wonderful. And you're you talk shame, about shame everybody else who's who's listening or watching this right now. Hey, it's a free it's it's a freebie. Anybody can take it and use it, especially if you're not 52 yet. But but I, let me tell you this, David, that it was fun for me. My daughter would go to the store with me a lot. I'd usually buy gifts, you know, th two three at a time, and she'd say, "Hey, mom, talked about this or that." And and of course, my wife loved it that every Saturday or Sunday she was opening a gift. I mean, I wrapped them all and I'd have a bunch and I'd put them out and she'd choose the one that she wanted. But, but that engaged a, a reciprocity. Not that I was doing it to get her to do something, but she right. does lots of loving things for me because she sees I do those for her. And, and you can build this relationship in a positive way by, by doing good rather than, you know, exchanging tit for tat, which is what far too many people do. For, um, who are listening who would like to apply these kinds of principles better in their business. Tell me a little bit more about your business itself. What do you do? Who do you do it for? Okay. So the business is called Influence People. And what I tell people is I, I help you learn how to hear yes. I, I teach people the psychology of persuasion, the science behind all of that. And then I do it through speaking, training, coaching, and consulting. Uh, with individuals and, and organizations to help them become more effective. So a lot of my background has been in sales, but when I go into a, a client, I don't say, David, let me tell you how to sell. But I say, David, you tell me how you sell, and I will tell you how to optimize that. Because there are so many things along the way that I can share with you, these principles, that if you look for the opportunities to apply them, and most people, because they don't really understand the language of, of influence, there are so many more opportunities than you would imagine to be able to apply this kind of information. So whether they're leaders, business coaches, salespeople, those are the kind of people who really can see the right return on investment, you know, in going and applying themselves for sometimes two or three days, I can do workshops. And so what are the metrics that you use to, to gauge the effectiveness? How does somebody know that um, how the needle was moved as a result of the work? Okay. Good question. Um, before I left the insurance company where I used to work, what we were doing is we would measure the three months immediately after having attended the workshop, the first full three months after the workshop, and we would compare it to those same three-month period one year before. And what we saw was agents increased their sales by 14.8% in those three months immediately. Oh. 
And, and I have to tell you, our company was not very competitive. And that was only with one company too. We couldn't measure how much they were selling with their other carriers. And I would suspect that if those carriers were more competitive, they were able to take that very same skill because it wasn't company specific and utilize it in a way that would be extremely beneficial. And for those who would then take it and continue to learn, I mean, that was the baby step into it. But this is something then they could use for the rest of their career. Yeah, that's great. All right, listen, we're, we're running low on time, but I want to, I always end with a, a little lightning round. So some quick questions, quick answers. So who have you had your biggest challenge in influencing in your life? Who, who do you struggle, even with all that you know, where do you come up with the biggest challenge in terms of influence? Um, there was an individual that comes to mind um, many years ago, and I could tell when I was invited to his part of the company to start teaching what I was teaching that he was, none, he was not happy about it. And all of a sudden, I got thrown on the road with this guy for six weeks. And I thought, man, I, now I'm going to have to spend six weeks with somebody who is very clear doesn't like me. And I had to apply everything that I taught. And ultimately, it worked. And it worked like a charm. And this guy is now like my biggest advocate. But, you know, a lot of people would have said like, no, I'm not going to go on the road or, or would have just like slogged their way through it. But I thought, here's, a, here's an opportunity to test case everything that I teach. And, and he is like a close friend now. I mean, one of my biggest advocates. And that feels so good to be able to turn a situation like that around and, and turn somebody from, from maybe an adversary into an advocate. Yeah, that's great. Um, so look back um, at your early career and the work that you did in sales and insurance. Talk quickly about the difference um, and how gratifying it is to actually teach people what you were able to do and see that as more third act. Um, I think early in my career, I thought sales was BS, quite frankly. Being a very analytical guy, I thought yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. It wasn't until I encountered somebody who was really good at sales and I started to say, hmm, this can make a difference. And then when I bumped into the science of influence, then I started to see the empirical data and then I was totally bought in. And so now it's very gratifying to be able to help people earlier in their career who might have a negative perception to get them to see that, you know what, if you change how you communicate, you will have more success at the office, but you can also have a lot more happiness at home because you can just do away with some of the friction there. And that's, again, that, that's why I'm passionate about what I do, because at the end of the day, there's nothing better than when somebody says, I tried what you said, and my marriage is better for it, or my yep. career is taking off because of it. Yeah. Take the clock back 40 plus years. You're back okay. in high school. Starting over again, what would you do? Knowing what you know now, what would you do with your life? What would you go into? Um, well, I mean, that, that's always tough because we, we grow and we change. And it would be very easy for me to say, gosh, I wish I would have leaped into psychology. But I may have gone down a path in psychology that's not related to this and then got to the point like many people and go, ah, this isn't for me. And um, so I, I don't have any regrets or anything major that I would change. There are some small things along the way. For example, when I was in high school, I didn't think it was cool to be in plays. Now that I'm on stage, sorry, sorry. It, it, it messed up the, the audio for a second to do what again? I, I, when I was in high school, I didn't think it was cool to be in like a play. Oh, and yeah. I realized how important that is when I am leading a two day workshop or if I'm doing a keynote to, to, to feel that comfort level and, and to do things that were related to that. So I think I would have gone back and, 
and gotten involved in certain uh, activities, you know, outside of just football and weightlifting yeah. to be a better rounded person. And, and I will say this, David, it's something I found later in life that my wife and I have done. This was another birthday present for her. We've done improv together. Fine. And uh, like eight week classes end with a show. And we've done it like a handful of times. And, and that's been awesome. That's great training. Oh, absolutely. I, I recommend anybody listening to this, if you want to have fun, meet interesting people and laugh a lot, find <laughs> yeah. some local improv. And, and even better, you learn to trust. And you, whatever yeah. they do, you have to go with it, right? Yeah. And so what a lot of people don't know about me and my background is I did do plays. And really? I, did, I did theater and I did musical theater and I sang in the traveling um, group uh, in high school and everything else. And I actually went to college on a full ride acting scholarship. So wow. I did theater and music the early part. If I could go back, first of all, great training for me because I, I sang band for years. I, uh, I've been on stage my whole life. Certainly uh, the work that I'm doing as a speaker and everything else, but early part of my career, I would have, I mean, in high school, going back, I would have done forensics. I would have done DECA. I would have done all these things having to do with business that I knew nothing about. And so now that I teach business, of course, I'm incorporating all of those skills, but it, mm -hmm. it, it's ironic that you said that you would go back and, um, and I did all of those things. And I had the time of my life. And I was a little non-traditional. I did a guy with a deep voice. And most of the guys in the program weren't necessarily that. So it reserved certain roles for me. But I loved it. I loved every. And, um, and it's sort of that difference between your vocation and avocation, right? That you should yeah. have something in your life that you're enjoying as well. Um, hey, what a, what a great pleasure it was to, uh, to chat with you. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? My website is Influence People. Dot biz. And if they go out there, they'll learn a little bit more about my background. They can see lots of videos, testimonials, blogs, podcasts that I've been guests on. There's all kinds of information out there. Um, so that would be the best way. I mentioned Great. earlier, I don't reject people if they reach out on LinkedIn. If you don't send a note to say like, hey, I heard you on Doug's podcast or David's podcast, then I'm going to send you a note and say, how'd you find me? Um, and we'll get some banter going back and forth. But, but those are probably the two best ways to reach me through the website Great. and through LinkedIn. So influencepeople.biz, we'll be clear about that. Brian Ahern, I, I greatly appreciate your time. And for those of you listening, once again, the Very Visible Business Podcast, be sure to click below and subscribe. The video version of this is always on my website at davidavern.com. And of course, we're on iTunes and Stitcher and C-Suite Radio and everything as well. Be sure to check out some of the other interviews, some fascinating people, uh, some great subject matter, some great listening, and of course, viewing. I like to do the video version as well. So we'll see you next time. Tune into the next episode. Thanks. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theverybusinessbusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at Amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.